It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 18. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and welcome. Uh, Before I uh, give the sermon, uh, I do wanna make an announcement. Uh, Some of you have been wondering uh, about how and when we might regather in person live uh, once again at church. I know that some of you are very eager and comfortable about regathering, while others of you are less so and want to be more cautious. I want you to know that the session and staff have been having ongoing conversations and that there are three uh, major factors that we are considering right now. First is that we want to abide by the state guidelines. Uh, As you may have heard, Governor Murphy issued an executive order this week that allows for up to 50 people indoors. Uh, Secondly, we have to abide by the guidelines set by New Brunswick Seminary. And we are having uh, conversations with them to see their level of comfort and what their policies will be. And it's uh, evolving as they allow more people uh, back into the building. And thirdly, we wanna have our set of guidelines. Uh, what the state allows and what the seminary may allow uh, is very different from what we as a congregation may feel about in terms of safety and comfort levels. And so uh, this week we formed a committee, <clears throat> like good Presbyterians, uh, we're calling it the Recorporating Committee, and they will uh, begin discussions this week uh, to guide us in terms of how we can uh, gather, when that will happen, what that's gonna look like and so on. Uh, The committee is going to be uh, chaired by uh, Elder Joe uh, and Pastor Dohi and myself will also be on that committee uh, along with uh, six members of our congregation. Uh, We thought that represented the congregation pretty well. So uh, this committee will discuss and make recommendations about what holding live services once again uh, might begin to look like. We of course want to have corporate worship, uh, both in the sense of being together, but also in the sense of 
uh, a bodily, a corporate physical regathering. But we want to do it in a way that is safe, uh, especially as we have so many young children uh, in our congregation. So I ask you to just uh, continue to uh, keep that in mind and lift up the committee in prayer uh, as they guide the church through this transition uh, that we will all go through together uh, as we um, figure out how we can once again uh, worship together in person. All right, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you once again for uh, this time of gathering. Uh, and as we once again think about what it means to abide in you, help us, God, to take opportunity of this time to more seriously consider uh, what it means to abide in you and in your word. And so help us now to hear your word and in that hearing, help us to obey. We ask in Christ's name, amen. This is now the seventh sermon in a series of sermons I've been preaching on abiding in Christ. Jesus calls us to abide in him and in his word. And as we do that, he promises that we will experience the bearing of fruit of answered prayers, which will in turn glorify God and bring us the fullness of joy. And so as we continue to study God's word, as we memorize, as we meditate upon the word of God, as we continue to sit, to mourn, fast, and pray, interceding for others, Jesus gives us a needful reminder in our reading today. Chapters five through seven in Matthew's gospel contains Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, a vision or perhaps a description of life in God's kingdom. And in the middle of it, in chapter six, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. We are to abide in Christ, but Jesus warns us against the kind of spirituality that is motivated by the desire for human praise and instead encourages us to seek God's approval. He then illustrates with three examples of spiritual disciplines. First, giving to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. As far as we know, no one ever blew trumpets before giving to the needy in the synagogues or in the streets. Jesus here hyperbolizes to say that you don't have to make a big show to let everybody know what you are doing. You don't have to loudly advertise how kind and generous you are. Someone rightly remarked that this is the first century equivalent of virtue signaling. When you do that, you will receive some praise from the world, no doubt, but that's it. Instead, Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, Jesus is obviously further joking here. How can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? The point is that giving is to be done in secret. 
And the father who sees in secret will then reward you in secret. Second, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. <clears throat> Again, you know, people who love to pray out loud in the church or in the street, is not a problem that we have. It's just the opposite. Many of you are too self-conscious about praying out loud in public, in small groups, and are probably secretly praying that no one calls on you to pray out loud. When we ask for volunteers to pray, sometimes there is that long, awkward silence as if everyone is waiting for someone to take one for the team. Like giving to the needy, Jesus says, don't make a big show of your prayers. Jesus isn't condemning public prayer as you can be just as ostentatious in your private prayers as in public prayers. The point, once again, is that if you show off your, partial, your spirituality, you will be seen. You will impress some people who might say, wow, that was a great prayer. What a great prayer warrior you are. But that's it. Instead, Jesus says, choose to pray in secret and the father who sees in secret will reward you. And third, fasting. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Today, very few people fast on a regular basis. And when we do fast, it's usually done to draw attention. Usually not to the person doing the fasting, but to a particular cause, such as racism or world hunger. But in the days of Jesus, people would often put on uh, sackcloths and ashes when they fasted so that everyone would know who was fasting. So again, Jesus calls us not to make a fuss and to show how difficult it is to fast by looking haggard and thin. You can certainly impress people by doing that, but that's it. And Jesus says, once again, fast in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So with these three examples, the pattern is very, very clear. As you can see on this chart, you have a choice. You have a very clear choice. You can have piety that the world sees and applauds, or you can have a piety that God sees and God rewards. Jesus says, you're giving, you're praying, and you're fasting, you're abiding in Christ, will be rewarded. And you can choose the kind of reward that you want. Maybe that you feel a little uneasy at the thought of giving to the needy, praying or fasting in order to get a reward from God. It may sound like getting brownie points for obedience as if you're earning your way toward righteousness. But this has nothing to do with the reward of salvation. This is not talking about work hard and 
God will somehow find you acceptable. This is about discipleship, the working out of our salvation for those of us who are in Christ already. And Jesus uses two different words for rewards in this message. The word for reward that you receive from others is a word that means wages. It's what you would earn justly for your work. It's the natural consequence of your actions. If you study, you will be rewarded generally with a better grade. If you exercise, you will generally be rewarded with better health. If you show off your spirituality, you will be rewarded by human applause. However, the word that Jesus uses for what God rewards is a different word, and it carries this idea of giving back or of repaying. When you show off your spirituality, you get what you deserve. You've earned the world's praise. But when you exercise your spiritual practices in secret, when you abide in Christ in secret, God will give back to you. In other words, this is not some quid pro quo for uh, which God is somehow bound to pay you in some earthly or even spiritually bank account in proportion to the amount that you give, pray, or fast. It is not something that is precisely earned or calculated or deserved as a salary, and it's certainly not some earthly or material rewards. What is given back, what God gives back, perhaps, is the experience simply of being in God's will, the joy of knowing that you are pleasing God. Perhaps the reward is a future where you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Or perhaps this repayment is the present and profound knowledge, the deepest satisfaction of knowing that you and the Father have shared something intimate just between the two of you. I think that what God rewards or gives back is ultimately of himself. In every relationship, there are shared moments that only those in that relationship can know. You may not, you know, I know that um, you know a lot about the life that I share with my wife and my family through uh, various sermon illustrations. But we also share moments of intimacy that only we know about. I couldn't even begin to explain some of those moments to you, the kinds of moments of intimacy that my wife and I share. Even if I try to explain them, uh, I don't have the words for them. It's not that I'm trying to keep things a secret from you. It's just the nature of the relationship. And I think that's the invitation that God is giving here in meeting with him in secret to share those moments just between the two of you. Now, I don't want you to think that spiritual discipline should be always and absolutely held in secrecy. If that were the case, it would be impossible for any of us to give to the needy, to make an offering, to lead the church in prayer, or for any of us to uh, ask one another to pray together or to fast together. This is not an injunction against the sharing of our lives and of uh, mutually uh, being held accountable for one another's spiritual practices. A counterpoint to these words that we have to keep in mind about secrecy 
are the words Jesus said a little earlier in the sermon. In chapter five, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And then he went on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says we are to let our good works be seen by the world. It sounds like a direct contradiction to what he says about doing things in secret. But let me point out a couple of things that indicate they are actually complementing one another. First of all, when Jesus says you are to be the salt of the earth and that you are the light of the world, he's using the plural you. We, the church, are salt and light. I don't want to push the grammar here too far, but it suggests that the emphasis is on the testimony that we bear together as the body of Christ, as a church. And when we do that collectively, it brings God glory. I think when the world sees that the church is giving to the poor, is feeding the hungry, is standing up for justice, the world sees that. The world sees that we who call ourselves Christians, those of us who claim to be following God and loving Christ, are doing some good in the world, and they will more likely think of God in better terms. But in Matthew 6, when Jesus says what we are to do in secrecy, he starts out with the plural you, as we might expect, to make a general statement. When you all give to the needy, when you all pray, when you all fast, but then he switches to the singular you for the rest of the sections. So that he's saying, when you personally, singular, give to the needy, when you personally pray, when you personally fast, when you do that on your own in secret, God will give back to you. So here Jesus is really talking about our personal piety. It's about your personal relationship with Christ than about corporate worship and witness public witness and personal devotions mutually support and inform and shape the other. They are not in contradiction. So whether you show off your good works as a church or you give and pray and fast in secret, Jesus is pointing out what really matters here is the motivation. Are we shedding light on our good works I think Jesus is here getting at the very root of our being. Henry Nouwen says this in one of my favorite books of all time, The Return of the Prodigal Son. At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, 
and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often, I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. Isn't this true? Aren't most of us too easily moved by either praise or by criticism? Most of us spend a lot of time trying to manage our public image, whether on social media or in casual conversations with friends and even family. We care a lot about how the world perceives us. It's not just the amount of time that we spent grooming our hair or the clothes we wear, although that is certainly a part of it. Right now, you may be worried that if you don't say the right things about the protests or indicate a particular anti-racism stance, that others will judge you and less of you. We want the world, or at least our circle of friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, the church, to recognize how smart, how successful, strong, popular, witty, compassionate, spiritual, or politically contrary, politically correct, or politically awoke we are. Of course, you don't wanna brag. You don't wanna say it directly. You don't wanna self-promote in that sort of blatant way. You don't wanna come off like an arrogant jerk or a know-it-all, but you find socially acceptable and subtle ways to promote yourself and your image. Maybe you casually name drop or give to an organization knowing that you will get your name out there. Maybe you casually mention how busy you are volunteering or to deflect a potentially bad impression, you are tempted toward exaggeration, hypocrisy, or outright lies to maintain your image. You use disclaimers to make sure that you come across as sufficiently good or humble. Maybe you say, you know, I don't usually drink, but the other day I was having a beer so that no one thinks you're an alcoholic. Or, yeah, I didn't really study too much for that last test, just in case you bomb it so that the others will know that had you studied for it, you would have aced it. These are symptoms of our self-centeredness, our insecurity, as if the judgment of others will either destroy us or fully satisfy us. Consider the fact that most of us have a hard time remembering the names of new people that we meet. We usually excuse ourselves by saying, oh yeah, I'm just not good with remembering names. But that's mostly a lie that we tell ourselves. Psychologists have shown that we are thinking too much about how we are presenting ourselves and the impression that we are making, and so we are not really listening to their name. 
I mentioned to you before a while ago that during my first year as a pastor, a friend stepped by my office and noticed a book on prayer that I happened to be reading. He saw the title of the book and asked, does your congregation know that you're reading that book? I was a little embarrassed because the title of the book was Christian Prayer for Dummies. I wished at that moment I was reading something more sophisticated, maybe something in Latin that I show him so that I could really impress him. I was looking for applause and affirmation because I had no confidence at that time about what it was to be a pastor or about prayer. And just to prove my point, I can't remember who that friend was. I only remember my own embarrassment. None of us are going to blare trumpets when we give a large offering to the church. None of us are going to insist on standing up as we shout out our prayers in church or in the streets. None of us are going to put on sackcloths and ashes as we enter into a time of fasting. But we all want to some degree the approval or at least the acknowledgement of having done something good. And especially, I think, for us, something spiritually good. This desire for praise is not necessarily wrong. C.S. Lewis pointed this out in Mere Christianity. Pleasure in being praised is not pride. The child who is patted on the back for doing a lesson well, the woman whose beauty is praised by her lover, the saved soul to whom Christ says, well done, are pleased and ought to be. For here the pleasure lies not in what you are, but in the fact that you have pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. The trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I have pleased him, all is well, to thinking, what a fine person I must be to have done it. The desire for praise, I think, is legitimate. We ought to praise our children when they are deserving of it. In fact, it is our very nature to offer praise when we witness something good and beautiful and excellent. When you see an athlete athlete dribble through multiple defenders and make a seemingly impossible game-winning shot, or when you hear a singer hit and hold an impossibly high note, you cheer. You can't help yourself. Praise is part of who we are, and that kind of praise is rightly earned and rightly spoken. The problem comes when your life becomes centered on seeking that praise when you wrongly begin to think, as Lewis writes, what a fine person I must be to have done it. When we mistake the adulation of people as affirmation of our worth, or when the pursuit of that adulation becomes all-consuming. I've heard stories of people saying it's more important to post just the right picture of a vacation or a delicious meal than actually enjoying that vacation or that meal. People have fought because someone took a bite out of the birthday cake before a picture could be posted and liked. Jesus is calling us to transcend our need for human recognition, to seek God's approval first and foremost, 
to pursue an honest relationship with God rather than the momentary praises of the people around us. What private prayers, private giving, private fasting, the time that we spend alone with God does for us, at least momentarily, is to make us naked and honest before God, and it frees us from the kind of self-absorption that can destroy us. It unmasks our theatrical righteousness, the constant performing in front of others that leads to resentment and exhaustion. A time in secrecy with God can re-anchor us. It gives us the proper footing to live free. Managing your image, especially your spiritual image, managing the impression that you make on people constantly pretending and preening is hard. It's so crushing. And Jesus says, there's another way, a way of freedom. To be the authentic self, to discover who you are, and to become the person God wants you to be. Abiding in Jesus in secrecy will keep you from who you pretend to be. It will keep you from who you think you should be. It will keep you from who, whom others want you to be. And it will keep you from whom you think others want you to be. You can be yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can be who God says you are, as we say. In secrecy, in that vulnerability and openness, you can discover and be rewarded by the presence of God. Let me leave you with what I think was a saying among the Desert Fathers. If you want to keep the fire hot, you must not open the door of the furnace too often. If you want to keep the fire hot, you must not open the door of the furnace too often. If you want to keep your spirit vibrant, you need to spend that time in secrecy before opening your life so that others may share in the warmth of that fire. So let me encourage you this week to spend time alone with God, to abide in Christ in secret, to give to the needy in secret, to pray in secret, to fast in secret. In secrecy, may the Spirit of God help you to have the flame of your spirit burn bright. Let's pray together. God, we confess that we care too much about what others think of us and that we are often tempted to exaggerate and sometimes even to lie to project a particular image before the world. Help us, God, to find our identity, our satisfaction in you, to abide in you in secrecy, to be before you as we are, and to discover who you are.
And in that knowing, in that relationship, to find the fullness of joy, to discover who we are and who you want us to be. Help us, God, to prioritize abiding in you in secrecy. And we pray together now the prayer Jesus taught us. <clears throat> 